Welcome to Energy Transitions, a podcast brought to you by Endless Europe and Friends. In this series, we will spotlight the people and projects driving change and innovation in Europe's energy sector. You can download this and all other episodes on enlit-europe.com slash podcasts. Now, let's start today's conversation. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast about Norway's thriving offshore wind sector, brought to you by Power Engineering International and Inlet Europe. The Norwegian industry is considered world-leading when it comes to sea and subsea technology, developed over decades of oil and gas extraction. Norway is therefore in a unique position to build on these expertise and take a significant portion of the offshore wind market. Here to discuss the exciting wind developments in the region is John Tunder, Chief Scientist and Research Manager at Sintef Energy Research. John, thank you so much for joining us. You are on the cutting edge of developments in the sector. Before we delve into these details, please could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and the work you do at Sintef? Over to you, John. Uh, thank you, Pamela. Uh, so, yes, I joined Sintef in 1997. Uh, before that, I had worked with uh, Reason National Laboratory in Denmark. They are now part of DTU Win. Yeah, I have a long career in uh, in wind energy, mainly working with grid connection and control systems and and these kind of issues, and with offshore wind since uh, the very start of the offshore wind development at the early 2000s. At Sintef, I'm coordinating the offshore wind activity. And I'm also heading a new research center on offshore wind that we are, have established, which Sintef is hosting. It's called uh, North Wind. So I'm all in uh, offshore wind and very excited about it. Fantastic. If I can maybe just ask, let's set the scene for our listeners. There's a lot happening in Europe at the moment in offshore wind. If you think about the European Green Deal, um, there's obviously a lot of projects on the horizon and a lot that have already been developed. Could you maybe set the scene for our listeners and just give us a little bit more of a context in terms of Norway and Europe at large? Yeah, certainly. So first of all, let's put things a bit in perspective. The offshore wind development in terms of installed capacity, it's a bit like uh, land-based wind in terms of capacity in the early 2000s. So Europe has installed 25 gigawatts of offshore wind capacity uh, in the last year, more or less. And this is more or less the same capacity that was installed on land totally in the whole world at the start of the 2000s. And today, land-based wind is 600 gigawatts something, something around about there. Every year, about 50 gigawatt land-based wind is installed, more or less. And many expect that offshore wind will follow the same trajectory as land-based wind have done. So this means that uh, although it's not so much offshore wind, if you look at the sort of what the it contributes to the energy system today, probably in the future offshore wind will play a much larger role. Uh, the European Commission has a goal of 300 gigawatts of offshore wind in Europe by 2050 to supply about one-third of the electricity consumption in Europe by 2050. The International Energy Agency have pointed that at uh, offshore wind as a main contributor to the energy supply uh, for the future 
to to reach climate goals, to supply clean energy without any CO2 emissions, and also being able to develop of uh, energy source in a sufficiently large enough scale. And I would say also uh, with a minimum impact on the environment. Well, uh, it does seem that offshore wind is going to play a really prominent role in Europe's uh, energy mix moving forward, which I think is very exciting. In terms of Norway specifically, are there any projects that you would like to highlight? Any trends in Norway that you see and perhaps any developments within the market that you'd like to Hmm. uh, just sort of highlight for our listeners? Yes, absolutely. So when we talk about offshore wind, uh, it's okay to to distinguish or separate between floating wind and bottom fixed wind. Bottom fixed wind, these are turbines that are fixed to the seabed uh, with a foundation. So they are they are not moving, they are they are fixed in the seabed. It means that there are piles going down into the seabed, uh, maybe 50 meters down in the seabed, or a, or it's uh, constructed on big uh, uh, concrete uh, foundations or gravity foundation or, or other means of keeping them fixed to the seabed. And 99.9% of all the offshore wind capacity today is bottom fixed. Uh, wind turbines uh, and they are installed at fairly shallow water you can say so up to 20 30 maybe 40 meters water depth if you look at the ocean the ocean is mainly deep so 80 percent of the accessible wind resource is calculated to be in water depths greater than 60 meters and for that water depths you'd like to use floating wind turbines this means wind turbines that are floating on some kind of floating structure and then they have uh, mooring lines going down to the seabed uh, and anchors to to keep this in place so they are fixed like a ship if you like and uh, and in this this segment that is very very small today is actually believed of many to be maybe the largest part of the offshore wind development in the future and Norway has been a pioneer in developing uh, floating wind. The first uh, floating wind in full scale in the world was installed uh, in Norway already in 2009. Uh, it was installed by Equinor, based on research also by, by Sintef. And now uh, there has been uh, a development of more floating uh, wind farms. There is a floating wind farm installed in the UK and outside Scotland, also with the same concept uh, by Equinor. And there are other companies also uh, developing floating turbines. And this is being thought of as very, very promising, but today still more costly than bottom fixed wind turbines. So, uh, Bottom fixed wind farms today can be built many places without any subsidies. They are sort of competing with the electricity price without any subsidies, can be built to about uh, 50 euros per megawatt hour. Uh, if you if you look at the floating, uh, the cost is maybe twice that or three times, depends a bit. But that technology is not really developed and there is no supply chain that this is established and so on and if you look just on the material that is used yeah the way it's going to be installed and operated and so on there is no reason that uh, floating wind shouldn't actually be cheaper 
the bottom fixed twin once it is uh, fully developed. And, and the research we are doing at Synthef uh, together with partners, and this is also in agreement with the industry, is that the goal for floating wind is that the cost by 2030 should be reduced to about 50 euros per megawatt hour. And then uh, it can even be the cheaper option in the future. Thank you for that uh, overview, John. Clearly, uh, floating wind is a nascent technology that holds a great deal of promise. But there are some key challenges that need to be overcome in order to to develop the technology and, as you say, uh, make it a little bit more affordable. In terms of developing, or should I say deploying, floating wind out in the depths of the ocean, there must be some very technical challenges uh, in terms of the equipment needed, uh, the skills. Uh, first of all, could you talk us through some of those key challenges? And in your opinion, do you think that Norway's history in oil and gas has perhaps equipped the various teams to really exploit the opportunities offshore? Yes, certainly. So to develop floating wind, I think there's three things that are needed. You need deployment. So there needs to be a deployment of floating wind so that the industry sees a market, you get volume, and this will drive the cost down. Then uh, you need research and innovation because the technology is not fully developed and there is plenty of room for innovations to be done to to reduce the cost and and make this better. And I can say for floating wind uh, today, Uh, the largest wind farm in operation are a few tens of megawatt. And uh, on bottom fixed wind, uh, wind farms are planned in sort of the thousand megawatt scale. And this is also the future for floating wind. And to come there uh, with a sort of a thousand megawatt or more floating wind farm that is installed far out in the sea, you would need to have a grid connection operating on a high voltage DC. And then the turbines, they are producing alternating current on uh, yeah, typically low voltage. So you have to transform it up to high voltage and then you have to have a converter station to convert it to, to DC, direct current. And, this, and then this power would need to be transmitted to shore via large uh, subsea cables. So DC technology that is well known from uh, transmission between countries uh, with subsea lines. So there are subsea lines between Norway and Denmark, for instance, or Norway, UK is just being opened and so on. So this is fairly known technology, but then you have the DC converter stations on land. If you have a floating wind farm, you need to have the DC converter station out there in the ocean. And these converter stations, these are not small constructions. I'd like to say that uh, the one that is built in Germany, which is for a bottom fixed wind farm, it's the size of a, a football field. So it's it's a quite huge uh, construction. It's maybe 50 meter tall, uh, 50 meter wide, 100 meter long. This is the order uh, of size we are talking about. So it's a huge construction. And to reduce cost, we need to make them more compact. That's one thing. And also, it will not make sense to a bottom fixed uh, large substation 
or convert, convert a station out in the ocean together with floating turbines. Maybe the water depth is 200 meters. Uh, then it would be more economic to have a floating uh, substation. So this is also something that needs to be developed. Another thing is that going from the turbines and to the substation, you do not want to just have one line from each turbine directly to the substation. You want you need to go down to the seabed with a cable, and then you want to have a collection cable where all the cables are connected and then a single line or a few lines going up to this uh, uh, substation. And for this you need a subsea collection system and this is something that has been developed for the oil and gas industry with subsea process plants and so on. And you can use this technology but it needs to be scaled up and adapted for the purpose of offshore wind. So there are a matter of uh, being able to operate at higher voltage levels to be, be able to operate at higher power levels and also to adapt this for a large series production rather than one-off productions. And all this will also be a part of uh, the, the challenge and the innovations to be solved to, to reduce cost. There are quite a few research challenges that I could uh, move on into explaining. And I think if we sort of zoom out a bit and say, okay, you need deployment, you need innovation, you need research. What are the what are the main uh, things? Well, you have subsea technology, that is one thing. A subsea cable, subsea connection system, this is an important thing. Uh, the other thing is the mooring system. So one thing is to make a mooring system for a, a single floating turbine. Another thing is to make a mooring system for a, a large wind farm consisting of hundreds of floating turbines. Then you can think of having shared mooring systems or yeah, how would you design this? And then you have the various floating concepts. Uh, one is a concept of spar buoy. Uh, this is comparable to yeah, if you take a, a bottle and you fill it uh, the, the bottom with uh, sand and you put it in the water, you will see it, it float fairly stable. So that's sort of the spar boy uh, <laughs> concept. The other concept is uh, that you have uh, a semi-submersible platform. It means uh, that you have uh, something typically consisting of uh, a floating structure, maybe with three elements, three floating elements, and then in the middle you have the turbine, uh, or at one of these floating elements you have the turbine, and this platform gives stability uh, to, uh, yeah, so it's, it is, it's kept fairly stable in the sea, and there are other alternatives also, but these are the two sort of main uh, systems. And then the turbines can be standard turbines, but there are also concepts in development where you use alternative turbine systems, either that you have uh, vertical axis turbines, or you could have uh, multiple turbines on a single floater. It is still not sort of, uh, we're still not there to say, okay, this is the better technology and this is this is not the better technology. So there's still some research and development to be done to sort of establish what is the best technology when you go floating. 
then you have uh, uh, the control system. The control system is actually essential. The SPAR system wouldn't function without a very good control system. And what the control system does is that it keeps the turbine stable even when you have very strong wind. If you wouldn't have had a, an adapted control system on a turbine with a SPAR, the system would start uh, moving back and forth uh, with larger and larger amplitude being unstable. And even if it wouldn't tilt over, it would uh, reach fatigue very, very rapidly. So it would reach fatigue in a matter of weeks rather than uh, as it should do in a matter of uh, 30 years because it would move too much. And this, this control system is simply uh, measuring the movements of the tower and then it adjusts uh, the blades and the blade can pitch around their own axis so that they catch more or less uh, of the wind and then they are controlled in a way so that uh, the construction is kept stable uh, even when the wind is, is increasing. And this reduces fatigue, ensures a long uh, lifetime of the system and, and actually also increases uh, energy output. And of course, then uh, this is again for a single turbine. If you look at a large wind farm, be it floating or bottom fixed, you can can use a control system to also increase production for the whole wind farm or or reduce loads on the whole wind farm. And, and this is an area of intense research uh, where a lot of uh, benefits can be gained. John, thank you so much for taking us through what seems to be a highly technical field with a lot of moving parts and a lot of research still to be done. On the point of research, you mentioned the ocean, I think the ocean grid project that you're involved in. And uh, could you tell us a little bit more about the project and your uh, focus areas for research? Yeah, so uh, there are two projects. One is the the Northwind project, which is uh, a sort of a long-term strategic research project on addressing offshore wind quite broadly and a lot of research challenges and then so this addresses substructures and and uh, operation and maintenance and uh, uh, maritime operations but also the grid connection and i would say also digital twin technology and sustainable development but if we look at the system integration and the grid connection in particular, we have just started or just about to start a project called uh, Ocean Grid. And this is a quite important project for, for many reasons. If we look towards 2050 for Europe, the goal is that offshore wind shall supply more or less one third of the electricity consumption. Considering that offshore wind today has just a very marginal part of the electricity supply, it's obvious then when you're going to supply one third, offshore wind will be very much moving from a marginal source to being the backbone uh, of the energy supply. So that's one part of it to, to sort of look into how can offshore wind farms be operated to, to best support the power system. And then you have another part which is specifically addressed in this uh, offshore grid, uh, ocean grid project. And this is about how should the grid be designed and operated 
in a way so that it it uh, can be developed uh, as cheap as possible, but at the same time to deliver exactly the services you want. It's about developing this technology that we've been talking about. Uh, so the subsea technology, the floating HVDC technology, these kind, these kind of issues. John, I think we're going to have to check in again at a later stage so we can just get an idea of where you are in your research. There's a lot of exciting research happening, clearly. Uh, John, if I can move on to uh, one of our last questions. In terms of environmental impact, uh, we know that offshore wind is renewable, it's clean energy, and you know it's something that we need to develop at scale quickly. How can we minimize the environmental impact of offshore wind? Is, is that a focus of your research? Could you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. So this is, of course, a very important area and will become more and more important, I believe. Um, so, so first of all, I would like to say that all energy technologies or all human activities have an impact on the environment, whether we like it or not, it all has an impact. If we want to minimize our CO2 emissions to reduce, uh, to, to reach uh, climate goals, we need to develop more renewable uh, energy or energy technologies that does not emit uh, climate gases. So an offshore wind is one of these technologies that, that is offering this a clean energy supply and it has a quite low environmental impact compared to alternatives, alternative energy technologies. But still it has an impact on the environment, uh, it has an impact on the sea life, it has an impact on on the uh, birds uh, that are flying offshore, it has an impact on other use of the ocean by fishermen and so on. So it has an impact and we need to make sure that this impact is minimized or being so that it can, can maybe also improve. And I'll give you a few examples. So if you put an offshore uh, turbine at sea, uh, you will have an offshore construction that will essentially work as an uh, artificial reef. Uh, so there you will have marine growth and you will have be attracting fish. Fishing within the wind farm will normally be limited. So this will be sort of a place for fish to, uh, to grow and breed, and which you can say can be good. Whether or not it will increase the number of fish in the sea in total, we don't know. This is a positive effect. On a negative effect, you could say uh, turbines emit noise, acoustic noise, and this may disturb the uh, marine life. There's a lot of research going on to understand better how this disturbance is and, and what can be done to minimize this. Obviously, acoustic noise is not something we want, and, and it is sort of a sign of a uh, an inefficiency, so a more efficient technique, uh, technology will actually emit less noise and that's certainly where the industry will move. And then it is so that when you have, uh, where you push, put your offshore wind farms, uh, depends a lot on how they will interact with birds. And it's important to assess quite carefully the flight paths for birds, migrating birds, where do they fly, and, and to place the turbines or the wind farms so that they are not in conflict with this. And one can also have systems in, in offshore wind farms where you, where you monitor the bird activity 
and if you see sort of here comes a large incoming row of birds, you could maybe stop the turbines or you could put uh, sound or light signals and so on to scare them off. There are various alternatives that needs to be researched. What is the best option to make sure that you have no collision? So there are lots of things that can be done. Also with fisheries, I would say the differences between floating and bottom fixed again. If you look at bottom fixed turbines, they're normally placed on yeah, fairly shallow waters and probably also more commonly in conflict with other activity like fishing. If you look at uh, floating, you can put this uh, further out in the sea at deeper water where you will have larger free areas and and be able to uh, to place them so that there are less conflict with fishing activities and other other human activities. John, you've really highlighted so many different aspects there, and I think it's really important for us moving forward to to consider the impact we have on the environment. You know, hopefully over time we can really learn how to minimize the impact of of offshore wind and floating wind as well. Uh, John, we don't have a lot of time left, but do you have any concluding comments or thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I have uh, a couple, I think. First of all, I think offshore wind is a very promising source of energy. I think it will be a large part of uh, our future energy system. So it is a very promising energy uh, energy technology it can supply really large amounts of energy with very little environmental impact. And we shall do our, our best to reduce that environmental, uh, environmental impact to the minimum. Uh, it can be a quite affordable source of energy and, and one of the few uh, renewable energy sources where you can build really in large scale, in economic scale. And then it offers also a lot of opportunities for employment, building new industry. It's an excellent transition from oil and gas to to offshore wind. You very much of the same uh, skills and technologies can be deployed. So it's really a, a nice way to move uh, from oil and gas towards uh, green technology. And then there are some challenges uh, and we need to keep focus on innovation and research to, to succeed together with deployment, but I'm quite sure we will, we will make it. So, thank you. John, thank you so much for, for your insights and for sharing your knowledge with us today. I am certainly thought-provoked and I'm sure our listeners are too. Uh, so thank you for, for your time and uh, for joining us today, John. I'd also like to thank our listeners for joining us. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure to bring you this instalment. And uh, I have no doubt that we will be discussing a lot more about floating wind in the near future as this technology develops. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Energy Transitions, a podcast brought to you by Enlit Europe and Friends. You can listen again and hear all other episodes on enlet-europe.com slash podcasts. And don't forget to catch up on our other great digital content on our 365 platform, enlet-europe.com.